This is Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. In the late 90s, Fulton Leroy Washington, also known as Mr. Wash, was convicted of a nonviolent drug offense and sentenced to life in prison. He has always maintained his innocence. He served 21 years until President Obama commuted his sentence in 2016. Washington learned how to paint in prison. His series of teardrop paintings show photorealistic portraits of people with big tears rolling down their faces and miniature scenes inside the teardrops. That work is part of the Made in LA 2020 Biennial, now on view at the Hammer Museum and at the Huntington Library Art Museum and Botanical Gardens. Washington will deliver the commencement keynote address to the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture graduating class of 2021 on Saturday, June 12th, in which he'll share anecdotes from his journey and lessons learned along the way. Mr. Wash and I recently spoke via Zoom from his current home, a senior citizen apartment in Compton. This place here has become um, my everything in life. It's not just where I uh, eat, sleep, and nourish myself, but I also do my exercise here. I paint here. I create design. And mostly uh, for the last couple of weeks, a month or so, I've been doing my legal work. I've been going through piles and boxes of paper trying to uh, satisfy the requirements to prove my innocence. Around Mr. Wash's desk are piles of documents, jars filled with paintbrushes, and on the walls, some of the artworks he's created over the years. A lot of this is the prison art that I created in prison. I have it hanging here as a reminder and uh, really as precious family heirlooms. These are the heirlooms that tell the story of the journey of the last two decades for me. And it keeps me grounded. The artwork actually keeps me grounded. It, it, it keeps me in remembrance of what has happened and what can happen. I asked Washington to walk me through the early years of his life. Well, I was born in in Tallulah, Louisiana. I was the last person that was born on the plantation in which my family grew up on. And then in 1955, you know, listen to my mom tell the story. We, you know, she left and she came to California, stayed with her sister. Uh, We moved into the Nicholson Garden Projects in South Central L.A., we stayed there from 55 to 65. They had a riot. Um, my mom was remarrying and stepdad moved us out of the projects into the suburbs of Gardena. And from there, I think everything expanded kind of like really, really quick. It's multicultural area. The opportunities in school were a lot different. You know, I moved out at an early age, uh, bought a house in Carson. I think I was 17 to 18 years old. Lost it real quick. And then I bought the house that my grandchildren stay in now in in the city of Compton. So my young adult life was mostly in Compton, California. Washington remembers taking an early liking to art. I believe that we all have uh, some type of interest in art because, I mean, the world itself is visual. It's more visual than anything, you know. In kindergarten, I can remember with the big brushes and the water-based paint, the clothespins hanging the paper. We had art exercises. In my era of coming up, art was something that everybody had to do. We had to do it with colored pencils. We had to do the mosaics with the beans and rice. I paid close attention to detail as a child uh, in developing and building toys. Um, 
bicycles, motorcycles to hot rods. It's, to me, it's all artistic because art describes shape and form. And painting people and painting in oils, I always had a desire because when you take history classes, history teach you art. They teach you about the Nina, the Maria, the Santa Maria, the ships. And then you most of that is given to you in the form of art. It's not photographs. It's paintings that people painted of what was going on. And you'd be amazed at the, the way the water moves and how real it looked. But you know that they had no camera, so somebody created it. I would say looking backwards, yes, there was always been interest. How did they do it? You know, and, you know, whatever. How did you make it where you could see the boat and then still see it under the water and you can feel depth and it gives you that feeling of danger and excitement? In middle school, he learned how to make cars and airplanes out of wood and he got to design product packaging. By high school, he'd already founded his own business. It was a handyman service because I was good with my hands. I could pretty much fix things. I took all their classes, everything they had to offer, I had already took it and pretty much mastered it. So I was well-rounded in um, everything from wood shop, mechanic shop. I took welding up in school, in junior high school, uh, auto mechanics, upholstery, home economics. I learned how to cook, bake. I did all of that in, in the early stages. So by the time I got out of high school, I had a handyman uh, service that I could, anything that's broken, I could pretty much figure it out and fix it. So I was basically like this all around mechanic. That went on for a few years. Uh, when I bought my second house, um, I had an opportunity, even though I had already been doing some welding, but I hadn't really mastered welding. But I bought a, a second house when I was 20 years old and I had the 220 volts put in and we set up a shop in the back and I start uh, building motorcycles, you know, the frames and handlebars, sissy bars and just anything, whatever they want. Just tell me what you want. And the thing about it when it comes to art, because I know that as my life evolves now, the art is the basic, but I have to go backwards and think about drafting. I took drafting in high school. I learned how to use a pencil, how to develop shapes, how to do... Um, expanded drawings and everything. So when people would come and tell me things that they want, I could draw sketches of it and then work those sketches and, and I could see the different perspectives. You tell me one thing, I see it all around. I see things that's hidden that maybe you didn't, didn't even think about it. I'll bring it to your attention for clarification of what I'm seeing in my mind. With that ability to see things from other people's perspectives and from perspectives that they don't see, I think that helped really develop my art. Yeah. I listen to a story and then I can go deep and become who that person is and try to tell their story. At the time of his arrest, Washington was overseeing the construction of an equestrian center in Compton to teach black and Hispanic kids how to ride horses and rope bulls. He was also doing cleanup jobs in the San Fernando Valley following the Northridge earthquake. All his trucks were in use, so he went to pick up a truck to use at the equestrian center. While going to pick up the truck with a friend, the two were arrested for allegedly trafficking chemicals used to manufacture PCP, also known as angel dust. And because of my prior convictions, I had been to prison before. I ended up with a life sentence, two life sentences. You could be doing everything right in your life, you get derailed and it's hard to bring it back. 
it's hard to bring it back. The reason why is because once you have a prior of anything, then that's going to always be compounded and used against you. By this time, Washington had a few children. I have, I have eight children with seven mothers. So it's many experiences. Uh, I think looking at it, I realized that when it don't work, it don't make sense to linger. You know, you have to just keep moving forward. Um, but you also support whatever you leave behind. You know, it's, it's, you create it, it's your responsibility. So I had, um, I have four boys and four girls and they age from now, from 20, I have a hard time keeping up with their age. I have one that's almost 50 and I have one, I think the youngest is about 27 or 28, my baby girl. He first served time at prisons in Leavenworth, Kansas and Florence, Colorado, and didn't get many visitors. So at that point, it was mostly letters and phone conversations and then uh, visits every you know several months or so. When I became closer and finally made it back to California, to Lompoc, which is in Santa Barbara County, it almost seemed like that it was so many visits that I couldn't get no work done because I'm always in the visiting room, you know? So that was kind of like, wow, man, they coming again, you know? <laughs> but um, I loved every mo every moment of it. And I had more visits than the average inmate, you know, both from uh, people in the public and from uh, my family. During those long years in prison, Washington turned to his faith to keep hope alive. God kept me strong. I'm really spiritually inclined that I believe in that constant being in constant prayer and having faith. You know, I believe that faith without works is dead. So while I maintain my faith all the way through the prison uh, experience, I also provided work. You know, I worked toward and was diligent to support the legal team that was trying to help me. Uh, at the same time, sharing my time with the community in which I live, you know, to try to help the other people who didn't have hope, to give them hope that it can be all right, you know. So uh, I think the Spirit of God dwelling in me at a, at a constant feed is what gave me the strength to not fall into a deep despair. There are times that I kind of balled up and I whimpered and I cried, you know, because I couldn't figure out why. It's out of confusion that you can't uh, figure out why that, that makes you fall into that deep despair. Washington's long struggle to prove his innocence has made him passionate about criminal justice reform. But while he was in prison, he also got serious about drawing and then painting. It became part of my life through uh, rest in peace. Uh, my, uh, my sentencing attorney, Professor Karen Smith from Southwestern University of Law, you know, I was doing little cards and envelopes, you know, just drawing little figures like butterflies and uh, little things out of people's heads, even doing uh, uh, pencil sketches of them. You know, I used to sit down and do like something like a little bit better than character drawings, but I would do thumbnail pictures about the size of a nickel, a quarter, just, you know, a little head. Um, and I would do it on cards and envelopes. And one day, I went to the visiting room on a legal visit and she was like, I want to see some of this stuff that you do. So on our next visit, I brought down some cards and envelopes that I had drawn. And um, she was like, well, this is really, really good. You know, and in that conversation later on, she was like, do you think you could draw a person? 
You think you could draw the people that you work with? That they, when they said that you were buying chemicals? And I'm like, hmm, I ain't never, I never tried to draw somebody because I don't draw characters. So I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I could do that, Karen. You know, I, I ain't never tried it before. You know, she said, well, we need something to, to, you know, to reopen, try to spark and reopen your case. I hadn't been sentenced yet. So we trying to avoid the sentencing that happened. So I said, okay, I'll try. I went back and, and gave it an effort. I looked around the unit and found a guy that had a head shape similar to what I remember as one of the plumbers that worked on the job was. And I kind of drew a sketch of his head and uh, let him go. And then I took it and just kind of played with it on another piece of paper and added all the characteristics, you know, just kind of go into meditation and really think about the person and go back and I start adding the dreadlocks, the cap, and long story short, I drew the sketch and uh, on our next visit, I gave it to her, you know? And she looked at it and she just put it into her file and we continued to talk. Well, lo and behold, she took it and had copies made and start to pass those copies out around through the area where the construction site was at. And the kids were following her. And one of the kids, as they were walking away, said, hey, that's Jerry. And uh, then they said, what? You know him? Yeah, he lived right around, you know, and they took him to the guy. And he told them the exact same thing that I had been telling them for over a year. This is like a year or so later. And she gathered them up and did her own personal um, investigation. And she brought in several people. She brought in the Hispanic people in which they testified through an interpreter, the exact same thing that I have been telling the court all the time. Even the marshals that stood behind me, when they took me out of the room, it was like, my God, man, that was so touching that these people in another language said the exact words that you said about what happened that day. There's no way it could have been had not you been there. It's impossible to be in two places. You're really innocent. And I'm like, yeah, I've been trying to tell them you know, for over a year now, you know. But even with all of that and the testimony that they came in and did, the court still did not overturn the conviction or offer me opportunity for a new trial. Even though the drawing wasn't able to clear his name, Washington vowed to continue making art. He taught drawing and drafting to fellow inmates, then got a spot in a painting class. He first painted his fellow inmates. These are lifelike, realistic portraits. The inmates are dressed in civilian clothing and are free. He shows their fears and anxieties on their faces, literally, with big teardrops running down. And inside the teardrops, he paints miniature scenes or characters from the person's past that they told Washington about. The series grew to include figures from politics and pop culture, from John McCain and Hillary Clinton to Michael Jackson and Kobe Bryant. The idea for the teardrop style came, he says, from hearing a country song played on a fellow inmate's radio. And Tim McGraw came on, he singing a song, I don't know why they say grown men don't cry. I don't know why they say grown men don't cry. I had never really, you know, you hear lyrics or you hear the beat, but you never really listen to the words. In that solitude of that day, the words came through bigger than the beat. And I heard it. And when I heard it, I cried like a baby. I mean, I didn't, I had to hold my mouth with my hands to keep the other inmates from hearing it because 
that could have turned into something real physical and violent. If a person thinks you weak, they're gonna try. They're gonna try you. They're gonna try to extort you. They're gonna try to do something, right? So I hid behind my canvas, holding my mouth, and all the thoughts that went through my mind of listening to the story about a man traveling, uh, going to his wife and family while this girl was out there with a baby without a father, without protection. It just reminded me of my family and what my family was possibly going through. All the scenarios of what could happen was going through my mind. And I broke down um, in emotional state knowing that I was helpless to help him, you know? And I cried. So when we ended that day, I went back to my, uh, to my cell and I got my sketch thing out and I sketched the outline of what I saw. And it was teardrops. And inside of those tears were um, my wife leaving me, my daughter leaving me, uh, me behind bars. And I drew all these sketches up. And then the next week, I went out on the yard and had the photographer to take pictures of me, leaning as if I'm leaning out of a cell window. And from there, I tried to paint it. It's, I have that painting somewhere. I saw it since I've been home, the very first teardrop painting. It was crude. Um, nothing like what, because it's still developing. I'm learning more and more uh, how to handle the brushes and my technique is growing. But that was the very first one. And with that painting, in the, the weeks or months that it took to create the painting, inmates and staff would look over the shoulder and they could never imagine that I would ever shed a tear about anything. You know, that you're just so strong and so upright and just so happy all the time. We couldn't imagine you crying. You know, you painted yourself crying. Yeah, because I actually did. I'll tell them the story afterward because what you going to do? You ain't going to what you going to do to me. So I'll tell them the story. Yeah, I was in there crying. What? Yeah, so this is what was going on in my head when I was crying. I'm trying to write this story down because this is what, if I could have talked to my wife, if I could have talked to my child, to my children, even though I only put one, it represented all. As in one of the tears, she waved by daddy, you know, because it's like, they ain't gonna never let you out. So we moving on with our life and it's by, you know. Um, so I painted that whole experience out. And in, in the process of doing that, a lot of inmates and staff came to me when they could catch a moment I'm by myself and they would share their stories about what things that made them cry, you know. Before long, inmates were asking Washington to paint their portraits as well, with teardrops containing their own fears and sorrows. Some asked for their families in their tears. One wanted his car. Another wanted his dog. I actually did uh, animals with the humans in the tears, you know, because the animals were missing their owners. You know, that separation, it reaches further than... Uh, just between a husband, a wife, a father, and, a, and his son or his daughter. Uh, it reaches to everything that you touch that has the spirit of God that's living. When you separate, this is some feeling of loss there. You know, the dogs go, you hear a car come, and they keep thinking it's their master coming home or whatever. And for a moment, I was able to, to, to feel that, the perspective of what it would be like to be an animal, because I felt like an animal being trapped in a cage, so it's easy to go there. As Washington's painting skills improved, the waiting list for a portrait became longer and longer. Imagine this, you get a letter 
And the wife read the letter and she read it to the children and then she folded up and put it in the envelope and put it in the drawer for safekeeping. And slowly as all the pressures of life come in, you don't remember the words anymore. But when you send home a piece of art that tells a story, same as the letter do, but it hangs on the wall for you to look at every day on your way to school, every time you come home, that dad is still there that he still love you. Here's a picture he's him holding you. And, and that created them type of bonds that I think it just kept drawing people closer and closer to me. And, and it calmed the crowd. People stayed out of trouble. You know, nobody wants to have a piece of being in line and go to the hole in their turn, come up to get their piece of art, but you're not on the compound, so who's next? And then you come out, it's like, oh man, I have to move you. I can't move the rest of the people. So you got to get back again. It's going to be another year and a half now. What? Yeah, man, you went to the hole, man. You was gone for like six months. You was 90 days in the hole. We didn't know if you was coming back or not. Everything kept moving. So now people start to realize, well, I got to stay out of trouble because I want one of them paintings. And so it had a lot. It was just so complicated, the machine. But I think that my presence inside of the prison with the art calmed the machine. It calmed it down for a small group of people who was invested into these images to recount this time. They, a lot of people had dates. I didn't have a date, so I'm always here. But you're going home, man, get ready. You know, let me send you home something to, to keep you reminded, to keep you out there. This is what you're working for to go home with your family. Let's capture your family and show that you love. And when you go in, you don't walk in like a stranger. You know, you on the wall, right? So it helped. It helped a lot. While in prison, Washington made countless paintings on commission. Many were lost, destroyed, or mailed to their owners and have not been retrieved. One such painting, Mondain's Market, depicts fellow inmate John Mondain and one of the many businesses he owned before his conviction. The painting was thought to be lost, and so Mr. Wash made a copy of it in preparation for Made in L.A. Later, Washington reconnected with Mondain and located the original. Both versions are included in the Made in L.A. show. In 2014, Washington completed a large painting that proved to be prophetic. It's called Emancipation Proclamation and it shows Washington in his khaki prison uniform, handcuffed and seated at a long table, surrounded by federal officials, and at the head of the table is President Barack Obama, granting him clemency. The painting was modeled on Francis Bicknell Carpenter's 1864 painting, First Reading of the Emancipation Proclamation by President Lincoln. Washington discovered that painting by accident. He was visiting the prison's law library, and asked the clerk to hand him an encyclopedia. It was the picture of the Emancipation Proclamation. And when I saw it, my whole body just felt something like, ah! And I'm like, why this page? You know, like sometimes you pick the Bible up and you just open it up. And then it automatically opens up to exactly what you need to hear. And that's kind of how that happened that day. I, I got the book and I opened it with the Emancipation Proclamation. I took it into my room and looked at it and started to read the story about Emancipation and Proclamation. But as I read the words, I saw a different picture. I saw that nothing had changed in all these years. Since 1863, the fight for uh, equality and, and the slavery issues is all the same. It's nothing changed. 
So I started painting that picture. Washington emailed Obama administration members asking for their official photos. Some agreed, some declined, most didn't respond. He completed the painting with images he found online. My attorney who's standing next to my daughter in the painting, he asked for a copy of it to take to Washington, D.C. Say, I'm going to Washington, D.C. in a couple of weeks. I would love to take a picture of the painting if you don't mind. No, I don't mind. Do whatever you do, you know. And not knowing that 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 one unconditional, unselfish act of kindness of trying to help opened the door. You know, three weeks after that, they give me a call on the phone and tell me to go home. And it was unbelievable. I didn't, I really didn't even accept it as being real. I was still ready to go teach my classes. I went back to work out. And, you know, everybody keeps saying, man, you, you, you going home. But how many times have they told me that in 20 years? You know, I, I didn't believe it. I didn't pack anything. I'm still going teaching class at work. And then one day I'm at work. Uh, following that, a couple of days later, the warden came in and put everybody out the classroom. And uh, he said, he just walked in the door and said, out, everybody out. So I get all my stuff and he's like, not you. And I'm like, oh, what I do now? You know, I ain't, I ain't what I do. You know, he closed the door and tell everybody to get away from the window because everything is glass. And uh, he said, look, man, he said, uh, I, I got a call from, from high up. You got to get you off the compound. You're really going home, man. That's how it went. The Emancipation Proclamation is the very last painting that I painted in federal prison. The very first one was the slaves in the ship. Emancipation Proclamation um, was the last. So we got Armistad as the first. Emancipation Proclamation as the last painting. Two years after the painting was made, President Obama commuted his sentence. After 21 years in prison, Washington was free. I'm really grateful that, you know, God touched his spirit to have him to sign, sign my release, you know. It was a long fight. It was a long fight because during that process, if you notice in the painting that my hand is withdrawn away from the paper and the pen, and the pen is still in the bottle and Obama's trying to explain, which all the lawyers was trying to explain how the process go, but I think the process is wrong. And this is part of what criminal justice reform stands for is the Emancipation Proclamation painting, that there's something wrong with the system that why innocent people, in order to get relief from the sitting president, have to compromise their innocence to say that they have remorse or that they've been rehabilitated. And I couldn't answer the question. I'm still the same uh, caring, sharing person that I was. And I asked them the question when they asked for rehabilitation. And I say, from what, though? If you rehabilitated, you have to be rehabilitated from something. And I don't know what from, you know, and I don't have remorse for what. You know, I never committed a crime, so why would I be remorseful for what? You know, so uh, that's what that's really kind of all saying is that that pose in that Pacific photo matched the feelings that I was going through. And that is a conflict going on there in that painting. The same conflict that was going on when they tried to figure out what, how much of South Carolina and North Carolina it was going to divide or whatever. Since his release in 2016, Washington has not stopped making work. Some of his recent work is on view at the Hammer and the Huntington and also at the Jeffrey Deitch Gallery in Los Angeles as part of a group show called Shattered Glass.
I asked Washington how it feels to have his work shown alongside contemporary artists who, for the most part, followed the traditional art school route. In reality, 20 years of experience in painting in prison is equivalent to 20 years of painting in any other institution. The prison is an institution no different than a college or a university or whatever. And the learning that you get by experience sometimes is greater than that rigid control learning that you get when a person teaches you how to be like them or how to be like the world. Well, my reality was that the world and what I believed to be true was not as, as solid and true as it was. So it was a different type of reality. So I paint what I saw, and I did it from the perspective of those that didn't have a voice. You know, what was really going on inside, not the picture that you paint of this is prison, you know, holding your hands to the bars, crying for help, and the misery. There was a lot of love shared inside of prison, a lot of uh, pain shared inside of prison. It was not all torture, right? So I painted the spirit that left the prison walls and was with a family. I painted the, the sadness and the hurt that separation really caused, not the relief and joy that we have this person out away from our society. Now we can drink champagne and do the thing. You know, I painted the other side. And I think that that's the reality. Washington is now focused on several projects. His case is currently in the U.S. District Court for the Central District of California, where he's presenting evidence to prove his innocence and clear his name. His fashion line, Washwear, prints his artwork on t-shirts, sweatshirts, dresses, and hoodies, and is now branching out to sheets, pillowcases, and even rugs. He's also establishing a nonprofit that helps artists who are incarcerated transition into life after prison. Washware would help distribute their work and use some of the proceeds to support criminal justice reform. He has some commissions to look forward to, including a mural inside the National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C. that celebrates women aviators. I asked him if he feels like he's making up for lost time. No, no, time is, you can't make up time. It's, it's so linear. It, it, you have a, a start and an end point. There's no making up time. That's why it's so important not to waste the time. I didn't do Rip Van Winkle. I didn't go in there and sleep for 20 years and wake up and, you know, what I did, I went in there and I worked every day and I used the time in a positive way and I shared whatever I had with that time with people to make their lives better. So there's nothing, it's nothing to make up. I can't re-raise my children. So, I mean, you can't go backwards and redo that. They're grown now and we, I can help with the grandkids. So that's kind of like important to be able to be in a position to be able to help with the grandkids as well as still be able to positive contribution to society. No time, to, nothing to make up. I'm not making up, I'm only constantly getting the best out every 24 hours. That's Fulton Leroy Washington, also known as Mr. Wash. He'll be the keynote speaker at the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture 2021 commencement. Go check out his work in person at the Made in LA 2020 Biennial at the Hammer and the Huntington, which are now open to visitors with advanced tickets. 
You can also see some images of Mr. Wash and his work at arts.ucla.edu. You've been listening to Works in Progress, a podcast from the UCLA School of the Arts and Architecture. I'm Avishai Artsy. Thanks for listening and be well.